Today, we are going to be considering uh, Acts chapter 28, uh, verses 1131. This is the last message in our series through the book of Acts. Uh, and this is an amazing uh, close to the book because the, the reason it's amazing is because it, it doesn't end, really. It's an open-ended ending, if you will. Uh, we're still telling the story of Acts. Uh, and I think that Luke is very purposeful in the way that he leaves the story hanging uh, because this is a living story that is continuing to be told uh, through the church of Jesus. And, and what I want us to consider today uh, as we look at Paul in Rome is really kind of three, uh, what I'm hoping are kind of three really key lessons around what it means to be a community of the gospel, uh, what it means uh, to truly live life together. As we're preparing, uh, starting next week, we're going to do a three-week series on life together, on community. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of lessons that we can learn about, uh, about what it means to be a community of faith, obviously through Acts, uh, that we want to be a church that, that represents that apostolic faith, the people that are devoted to God's word, that are devoted to one another, that are devoted to prayer, um, and that are devoted uh, to seeing the gospel go to the ends of the world. And so I, I, I think that this particular passage uh, is really profound, because as I was reading through it, I saw that there were kind of three key lessons that I'd like us to focus in on. Uh, I'm sure there's much more in it, and I'm not going to try to uh, examine every single verse, but I want to really just break it into three things, and that is the encouragement of fellowship, number one. Number two, the suffering of hope. And then, and I'll explain what I mean by that when we get there. And then number three, the passion for preaching. Uh, because you remember, Paul doesn't say, I preach Christ crucified. He says, we preach Christ crucified. And so I want us to consider these three realities because I think that they will, they will kind of fill out as we've been considering kind of lessons and witness and uh, what does it mean to have a clear conscience. And we've talked a lot about the gospel uh, and we can never move past the gospel. We have been commissioned to give a particular message, and that message has its parameters, and the message isn't an ideology, but it's a person, it's the living Christ who says, when two or more gather in my name, I am there, what? In the midst of them. He's here with us right now. And I pray that you would reflect on that, the very, the very real presence of Jesus right now in this place as we consider his word. So let's, let's begin with the encouragement of fellowship. And we're going to pick it up in verse 11 of 28, uh, after after. Paul and, and, and the prisoners uh, and crew that he was with on the ship was shipwrecked. They were shipwrecked to the island of Malta. The first 10 verses deal with his time on Malta. Uh, they're taken in by the natives of the island. Paul gets bit by a poisonous snake and miraculously doesn't get sick. He flings the snake into the fire. And then the people, they, first they think he must be cursed and then they think he's, that he must be a god. Uh, there's, there's witnessing going on. And now they're leaving and they're continuing their final uh, their final trip to Rome itself, uh, where Paul will live the, the remainder of his life. And it says, after three months, we set sail, and they're going northeast in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Um, it's interesting that, uh, that they, they added, that, that Luke added that detail, but the twin gods were the, um, the gods, the, the sons of, of Jupiter that, that were painted on the stern of the boat. Uh, and it says, putting in, uh, which is the, the sign Gemini, uh, just in case you wanted to know, uh, putting in, uh, let's see, putting in at Syracuse, which is the capital of Sicily, and we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit that's kind of weaving back and forth north and arrived at Regium, which is the toe of Italy, 
And after one day, a south wind sprang up, so this powerful wind. On the second day, we came uh, to Patoli, which is 200 miles on, uh, on the Gulf of Naples. Uh, and there we found brothers and sisters, and I, this is really profound. I just take this, this verse in, because here's where we begin to see the encouragement of fellowship. There we found brothers and sisters, and we're invited to stay with them for seven days. Uh, and just so you, I want you guys to just take that in, because I want you to think about what it means to be a community of faith. And if a group of Christians came to our church uh, and we're about to have a, a, a whole community join us as a community, I wanna, I wanna ask, how are you going to make them feel like they're a part of this family? And because I love this. They just invited Paul and, and, and his prisoners to just stay with them. This is like true hospitality, uh, just beautifully presented. Strangers invited into their house. Think about how private we are. I don't even invite my friends to stay at my house, okay? So I think that this is a really, really profound, uh, profound moment. It shows us the encouragement of fellowship and really what is intended and how far we are from the fellowship that we see in the early church. And so we came to Rome. And then the final stretch of the journey, and he describes that, that stretch. Now they're no longer at sea. They're the final stretch of the journey was by, uh, by land. After only a few miles, they joined the famous Appian Way, uh, which led straight north to Rome and which was called the oldest, straightest, and most perfectly made of all the Roman roads. And this is another profound moment where the encouragement of fellowship happens. And the brothers there, that is the, the, the community of faith in Rome, who had never met Paul face to face, had only received a letter from him, a very famous letter, the letter to the Romans. Uh, it says, when they heard about this, they came as far as the Forum of Appius, so to, to the beginning of that road. And so here's the thing, that's a 50-mile journey by foot. So if you heard about some, some, uh, somebody that was coming, uh, that coming to Rome who is a believer that had written you a letter, would you walk 50 miles to meet them, to encourage them? Uh, I, I don't know if I would. <laughs> and the three taverns, which is an inn to meet us, and on seeing them, Paul, and I love this, thanked God and took courage. So notice that their fellowship uh, brought just encouragement, thankfulness, and even gave him the courage uh, to fulfill this mission that he knew God was calling him to, which is toward the end, end of his life. He would give his life in Rome. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldiers who guarded him. So I want us to think first about this. So this final journey into Rome, there are two two. Uh, really powerful moments here. One where they, they're invited in by brothers and sisters in Patoli, and then again, these brothers and sisters from, of Christ that come from Rome itself walk 50 miles to meet Paul just to encourage him, to join him on his final journey there. And I see here, we see the power of fellowship. I always like to remind all of us that when we become born again, we are not born into a vacuum, but we are born into a family. And, that, and the reason I say that to you again and again and again is because it is so necessary for us to reflect on that because it is so counterintuitive to what our culture calls us to. Even as Christians, we tend to take the cultural norm that everything is about us individually, uh, that it reduces Christianity into it's about me and my walk with Jesus. And that sort of viewpoint actually is, it fights against the essence of the gospel, which is about restoring right relationship with God in three directions. A right relationship with God will ultimately mean a right relationship with others, and finally and only then 
will we have a right relationship to ourselves? Um, I like what Paul himself wrote uh, in his letter to the Romans in chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So Paul writes to the Romans. Remember, in the beginning of the letter, he says, I want to come that I might bless you, that I might teach you, that I might help you understand the gospel. But I love this. This shows that Paul was not a man who lived isolated from the community of faith. He didn't, I, I heard this it's a fascinating story, and this is kind of classic, um, uh, like old school preaching uh, and, and just like a belief within the Western church that pastors are supposed to be separate from the people. And I, when I was at the Cannon Beach Conference Center, someone was telling me, James, have you guys know who James Vernon McGee is? He is like this little, he just has like this, he's this crazy, like kind of Mr. Magoo voice. Uh, I like fell in love with him. When I first got saved, I discovered his, his program on a radio station when I painted houses. And I, at first I thought his voice was so annoying. And then, but I found myself kind of, a, he's such a good Bible teacher. And uh, he, I mean, he's the only guy that I know that could, that could utilize uh, squirrel hunting illustrations in an effective manner. It's the only one I've ever heard. Uh, and yeah, but he was just this great Bible teacher, but they, he spoke at the Cannon Beach Conference Center and they were telling me how McGee wouldn't talk to anyone. He's like, if you're hiring me, I am coming to teach the Bible, that is it. And they said the only way you would get him out of his room is maybe if you paid for him to play golf with you. And I, and I was just struck by that because I think that's so different than the, than the Apostle Paul. I think that's different than the illustration of what, how Jesus lived. I, think it, I don't think that's what is intended by Acts chapter 6 when we're told that, they, that the apostles began to see that, they, that they, were, they were spread too thin and they needed to spend more time in prayer and studying the word. I don't believe that meant that they became isolated from the community. Uh, and in fact, Paul himself shows us how engaged he was with people. Uh, I mean, we saw that even when, when he met with the, the elders at Ephesus. They wept. Uh, they, wrapped, they, they wept in, uh, over him leaving because they felt so close to him, because he was so engaged and involved in their community. He was a shepherd. He wasn't just an apostle. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a preacher and evangelist. He was a shepherd. Uh, and I think that's important. And I think that is, that's often missing uh, when it comes uh, to leadership. And it's, and, and it's a tendency. I just want you guys to know it's a tendency to separate ourselves. And, and Paul writes this. He says, I want to come to impart to you some spiritual gift, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I, I, I love that. I want to come that, I, I don't, I, not only do I want to bring to you what I have learned by the Holy Spirit through the presence of Jesus in my life, but I also am expecting to receive from you. That can't happen unless you're in relationship, unless you're in conversation. Uh, and I think that this is a really, really beautiful point. But I think, what is at the root of our inability to enter into meaning, meaningful fellowship? I believe that at the center of Western thought lies the firm belief in individual autonomy. It's at the center of, of everything we believe as a democracy, about the, the, the freedom that we have to pursue liberty and happiness for ourselves. I, and that is so deeply embedded in our, in our personhood that we don't even see how effective it has been in our undoing. Because it is not good, says God, that man be alone. And that's not just talking about marriage, that's talking about human existence. But our belief that we are the center of our own universe, the belief that we're the most important thing happening, 
uh, our belief that our culture feeds into us, that we need to take care of ourselves and make ourselves the priority, that sort of self-centeredness, that is what has led us to incredible isolation, loneliness, and despair. It's why the more prosperous we become as a country, we're seeing an increased rate of suicide, increased rate of just disconnect. Uh, we, we live by our technology, which actually feeds into that isolation. I don't need to tell you guys this. We know it. We know it. Uh, we, we, we have lost our ability to connect in meaningful ways. I, and I, I think about this. Like, think about... Think about just even the ways, the ways that you spend your time, the ways that you... How is meaningful fellowship discovered? I was meditating a lot on this this week because I, I was thinking about, why do I feel so close to Jesus this week? I mean, I'm at the Cannon Beach Conference Center. I'm not in my urban context. Most of the people that were visiting the conference came from more rural parts of Washington and Oregon. There was a, a great group from um, Vancouver, B.C., but it wasn't like this, like super like hip urban experience it was just like godly people like people from like my the the town i grew up in gathered together to learn the word of god i was so busy because i had to preach every day i realized that it is good for me to be forced into spiritual disciplines when you have to preach every day you don't have time to escape i didn't watch any television i'm like i started looking at the things that i didn't do this week i didn't watch any television I didn't escape into my normal enjoyment of the restaurants that, I, that are all at our fingertips. I didn't watch any movies. I just had time in the Bible. But here's the thing. When I first got there, I was like, I've been, I'm so tired from uh, kind of working through this whole Redeemer process and, and all that's on our plate for the fall. And I'm like, and Darcy couldn't go with me because my, our daughter just had jaw surgery, which she's doing great, and she's in the back right now. Uh, but so I was by myself, and I'm like, it's just gonna be me and some books, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna do what McGee did. I'm gonna go out and preach, and then I'm gonna go back to my room, and I'm gonna read. And I called Darcy after the first night, and she could just tell that I hadn't been spending time with people. And she goes, you sound almost depressed. Like, and you need to go, she's like, you need to get invited back to this. If you're not getting invited back if you're not with the people. And I was like, dang it. And at first I was like kind of defensive. Like, I'm tired. They just hired me to preach. They didn't hire me to hang out. And these people aren't my people. And I'm not their pastor. And then I, 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 and then I hung up. I knew she was right. And so I, I went to, and then I made my, right after I got the phone, I got up and I put my, I got dressed. I was like totally lounging, just completely hiding out in the room. I didn't even go out on the beach. I was just like in this room reading books. And then so I, I went out and I just joined this a table of strangers I didn't know. And I did that for, for all the meals, just hanging out with, peop, with the people of the conference. And it was so meaningful. And that first night I go to the table, this guy says to me, he goes, man, you're teaching today. It just spoke to me so much. Is there any way I could, I could have coffee or lunch with you tomorrow? I just, there's something I really, I just, I feel like you might have some wisdom and that, and I said, I said, sure, man, I'd be, I'd be happy to. And the next day, I meet this guy after I'm done preaching, and we go, we go to this coffee shop, and he starts sharing with me just the challenges that he's facing. Uh, he's, he's from Australia. He's, he's amazing, amazing dad and, hus and husband. He's got, but he has a special needs child that's 13. That's extre it's extremely challenging, and he's and he's in between jobs right now and is stressed about being able to financially provide. And he just started weeping in front of me. And he just said, life is so hard right now. And he goes, I just, wanted to, I just was so encouraged by your sermon. I just wanted to spend time with you that maybe you could just... And 
It's not like I was able to give him some divine truth, but just being with another person and being able to be a conduit of God's love and grace in that moment, which is just literally letting him be heard, was what he needed. And, and I realized that this is the, this is the key uh, to Christian living. Like, I'm not called to just be a communicator up front and then hide in the back. That we are called as the pastoral team, as the elder team, is to, be, is to be engaged in the community, involved in the community. And I realized that isolation is an easy thing to do, especially when you start getting worn down. But what we need to remember is that God has put within our hearts his very spirit, which should energize us. Being burnt out as a Christian uh, shouldn't be, uh, you know, tired is one thing, but being burnt out is functioning in the, in the flesh and not in the spirit. And I, I just, I was so struck by, I'm like, I feel close to Jesus because I'm spending my day talking with people about Jesus, spending my day preparing sermons to teach people about Jesus, and then I'm ending my day in listening to Luis Palau talk about the need for Jesus. I mean, the guy did an altar call at a Christian camp where it seemed like everyone was saved, and people still got saved. It was amazing. Uh, and and, and just, I, just, I, just, I just thought it was such a beautiful time, and I just love that it just reminded me of just the power of, of being connected by this common belief in Jesus, that it doesn't have to do with whether you're urban or suburban or urban and rural, like we're connected by this, by this real, and the, the fact that this community, they, not only did they accept me, but they did invite me back, which is really funny, because I was so nervous to go to, a, to, go to a, a conservative Christian camp where Luis Palau, they were going to see Luis Palau, and I'm like, I don't think he's, I think this is a joke he's playing on me. I don't know if they're even prepared uh, to, to, to be confronted with this tattooed guy from Portland. Because believe me, people in rural Washington and Oregon do not look fondly on our city. I just want you to know that. <laughs> we are the root of all their woes. <laughs> so, and I understand that now uh, because I actually took the time to eat with them. <laughs> so uh, I, 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 I accepted, I'm like, I accept, I accept your, your woes and your grief. Uh, and, uh, but... There are people that love Jesus in Portland too, I promise you. <laughs> so I, I think that this is the question. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir one and up, up one another to love and good works. Notice this, the writer of Hebrews, this is very much on this, this the, the encouragement of fellowship. In order to stir each other up toward good works, we have to be close enough to each other to do it. There has to be proximity. And it says this, it says, not neglecting to meet together. I am consistently, and he says, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need one another. We cannot live the Christian life alone. It's an impossibility. And I think that it is a fundamental flaw in our thinking to think that we can have Jesus, but we don't need his church. It's actually, it goes against the very words of Jesus. And uh, Cam and I are going to be talking with you uh, more intensely about what it means to be in community, but Sunday gatherings, community groups, those are not different things. That's the church. All of this is the church, and us living life together is the only way that we will survive the insanity of the world in which we live right now. Philippians chapter 2, verse, uh, verses 1 through 4, so there, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by having 
the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let me ask you that simple question. In thinking about yourself as a follower of Jesus, are you more focused on yourself or is your focus others-oriented? That's a hard question, isn't it? Because when we're really honest with ourselves, much of what we do with our lives has to do with what is best for me in the moment. I can even use spiritual things, my pursuit of God, to be selfish. It's terrifying. But I believe that Jesus is honored when we allow everything we learn about Jesus should be for the purpose of actually serving the good of the community. This is why I think even the mystics, which I used to love because they were, it was all about being, it's just you and Jesus, uh, but I see the fundamental flaw in a lot of the mystics' writing was that it was, it, they were written in total isolation from community. Uh, and I think that this is an important component. We aren't living the Christian life if we aren't living it together. Uh, and we need, we need one another. And we should be fighting against the common thread within our culture, which says that you are the most important thing in the universe. We find our happiness when we're poured out for the good of others. And it is finally the first step in evangelism, John 13, uh, 34, 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When you look at the early first few centuries, the writings about Christian communities uh, by those outside of the Christian faith, the thing that they always noted was how much they loved each other. And I think that this is, this is the first step in evangelism. Why would anyone want to believe what we believe if they don't see it being worked out in the context of our community? It's what makes Christianity attractive. I, I like what Nikki Gumbel said when he said, every time someone walks by an empty church, they said, there, uh, there is a dead kingdom of a long forgotten king. And I think that that is true. We need to be a people that are together. Paul received his encouragement through his fellowship. Secondly, we need, to, we need the suffering of hope. And let's look at these verses, 17 through 22. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, to set me free, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since, note this, note this statement, it is because of the hope of Israel, because of the Messiah, because of the gospel that I am wearing this chain. It is my hope in Jesus that is the reason that I am actually a prisoner right now. Uh, and he says, they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. And then I want you to note this, but we desire to hear from you what your views are for with regard to the sect, that is Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. I think that this is an important um, text. So Paul now is appealing to the Jews of Rome. Uh, they haven't heard the reports about him and how the Jews in Jerusalem wanted him dead. But they have heard the reports of Christianity and how everywhere it is spoken against. Now, what does the book of Acts reveal to us? Is that the gospel is exploding. 
and that, that people are coming to faith all over the place. But as the gospel explodes, so is hostility against the gospel. And it tells us something about the reality of following Jesus and suffering. Now, I want to just point out that suffering is an unavoidable component of human existence. That man that I sat with at the table uh, and had lunch and watching him weep, he there is the suffering that, that he is experiencing or is reality that we can't escape. To live is to hurt. It's not all pain, but it is a reality to human existence. But what I want to point out is that there is a lot of suffering that we experience that is at our own fault. It's, in, it's directly connected to us fighting against the very call that is upon our lives to be witnesses and conduits of God's love. I think that the suffering that we often experience is, is of our own making and we're suffering for the wrong reasons. Uh, because when we fight against the very thing that we were made to be, which is conduits of God's love, we actually do damage to our souls. Jesus says you can either, you can either be broken on this rock or this rock can pulverize you to dust. And I think that, you know, there, there is... There is the, the laws of the kingdom are written into the fabric of things, and we can either submit to that reality or we can be destroyed by it. And I think that this is one of the things that is, that is important for us to understand, is that I think that we have fallen into the trappings to think that the church is doing good if we don't actually cause any conflict. But the fact is, is that the early church experienced blessing and suffering because the gospel is not meant to bring about a neutral response. People either believe or they don't believe. And the fact is, is that we live too much in this comfortable gray zone where, where we say we're followers of Jesus, but nobody around us knows it. I think it was Leonard Ravenhill that said that too many Christians are comfortable living like practical atheists. God's very pre powerful presence is not actually being experienced nor exercised in their lives. So like Alan Redpath said, the vast majority of Christians have written over their heads, saved soul and wasted life. And that's not what I want for myself. And I see how much time I waste, how often I suffer for the wrong reasons. You know, the suffering, the guilt, the shame that comes when I give myself to the, uh, to the things of the world to escape the pressures of life, rather than giving myself to King Jesus that I might be empowered by him to live differently. I want to suffer for the gospel, not suffer because I'm being a fool. And I, I hate that because I find it in myself so often. It's like, give yourself for the moment to the path of least resistance, and then you're just, then you're just like, why did I do that? And it's another moment. I, I want for all of you and I want for myself, I want to lay my head down on my pillow at night and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And it was, you know, it was, it was profound for me to, to preach every single day of the week. It was so good for me. It just created these incredible parameters, and it was life-giving. I didn't come back tired yesterday. I came back energized. Actually, Seth sent me a text, are you tired or are you energized? I'm like, I'm energized, because I've been talking about Jesus all week. I get it. I get how John Wesley, at 84, when he went to his doctor, and his doctor told him he needed to slow down, and, and so he, he's like, okay. So he cut his preaching down to 12 times a week. I get it. Because I want to live fully for Jesus. You know, I was convicted, Jan Bassinius, a dear friend of mine, the, uh, her and her husband Jim are a big reason why I even was able to come back to Portland. They were at the conference for a night, and, and Jan said to me, she goes, you know, I have a whole notebook of what I call Joshisms. And she said, my favorite one uh, is, it, is uh, Christ will either be your all in all or he'll be nothing at all. 
And I realize I never say that anymore. And, I, and I, I think the reason that I don't say that anymore is because often that's not true for me. Because I haven't allowed him to be my all in all, it feels convicting to say that he needs to be your all in all. But what she, it was weird to have her quote back to me something that I used to say before I got tired by ministry uh, and to be convicted by my own statement. I'm like, dang it, that's good. Who said that? Oh, I did. I should live that. <laughs> John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. We're not here to make the gospel appealing to modern sensibilities. He says, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, the world hates you. We need to accept the very words of Jesus because it's the key actually to us entering in to the fullness of his joy. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, the right kind of suffering. Sufferings for the gospel is what he's talking about here. Uh, and I would say even just sufferings, enduring suffering that life brings in it that we can't escape, but enduring it, not losing sight of our hope. And he says, and, and that endurance produces what? Character. And character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I've seen the hope of the gospel manifested in those who are suffering deeply, physically suffering. I saw that in my friend Craig when he passed. It was a man who was suffering from cancer, but he still, he had the hope of the gospel. And that hope, he, didn't, he, he persevered through his suffering and the hope, that hope did not disappoint him. It carried him through to the end. And I think for us, we need that same kind of hope. I like what 1 Peter says, chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Let me just ask you a question. Do people see the hope in you that would make them want to ask why it's there? It's a deeply convicting verse. And then it says, yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your, revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. And I think that that sums it up well. I want us to experience the suffering of hope, the suffering that produces hope. Suffering that leads to perseverance, perseverance that leads to character, character that leads to hope, and hope does not disappoint. And Paul sums it up when he says to them, he says, I am in these chains because of my hope. And that is a powerful reality. Finally, the last, the last point that I want to make from this text in verses 23 through 31 is the need for the passion of preaching. When they had been appointed a day for him, they they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. So the Jews came to him, and it says, from morning till evening, he expounded to them. Notice this, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. You know, 
Luis Blau took me to task on, on this, this, uh, this particular reality uh, because I often say, and I realize that it's, it's not robust enough, I'll say that we aren't called to be lawyers, we're called to be witnesses. And I think that it's true that we don't, we don't, inf- we don't force upon people uh, the gospel if they don't want it. But we are called to do all that we can. He, he constantly, he says, to what Luis said, he goes, he goes, yeah, it's to be a witness is to tell people exactly what happened to you, to be honest, to tell the truth. He goes, but we are to try to do all that we can to persuade, to convince, to exhort, to be able to actually explain the reason for the hope that is within us. And he says, but it's not me that does it, it's the spirit that does it through me as I yield to that spirit. But he's like, he goes, we should be persuasive and classic evangelist. I mean, I've told you guys before, D.L. Moody, when he, was, when he wanted to start a Sunday school for little kids in Chicago, the pastor said, well, you got to go get kids. And so what did he do? He was so, he was like, and, and Luis said this too, he goes, I don't care what the method is as long as you're preaching the gospel. <laughs> and Moody would take a donkey out on the streets of Chicago with bags of candy and give it to the kids and invite them to church. I mean, we would be arrested for that today, but it's still, it was effective. He, and, I mean, I love that famous story of, of Moody walking up to a young man on the street corner. He says, young man, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And he says, that's none of your business. And he says, it's absolutely my business. And the young man said, then you must be D.L. Moody. And I think that that, I, I saw that, that passion. It's like, do we believe that the message that we have saves lives? Do we believe that, that people are lost and in Jesus they can be found? Do we believe that people are blind, but in Jesus they can have sight and vision? Do we believe people that are dead in their sins and trespasses, but in Jesus can be made alive? Do you believe that people are sick and hurting and Jesus is the wounded healer who can heal the, the wounds of the world? We hold the answer, the truth for the world. And I love this because Paul, doing exactly what he said, he preached the gospel always first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. And here, I just love all day, from morning, notice, he's not thinking about himself. All he is is thinking about is, how can I bring more people into the kingdom of God with me? And I love this because Paul even said in Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, when he, was at, when he wrote with such anguish about his own people, he said, I would give up my own salvation, essentially, if I could save my brothers. And I, I think that that sort of sacrificial living is so profound. And I love this. It says, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he's trying to convince them that Jesus is Lord, testifying to the kingdom of God. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Notice, not a neutral response. Some believed, some didn't believe. And then what does it go on to say? And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And here he quotes to them from the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. Notice, and he says, and I would heal them. I love that. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years. Notice, Paul, if someone didn't receive the gospel, he'd just bring it to the next person who would. It's like she started with the Jews, the salvation is for the Jews first, then the Gentiles. They rejected those who rejected it. He said, fine, I'll take the gospel to the Gentiles. And here it is, and he takes it, and this is what it says. Uh, He lived there two whole years at his own expense, 
his own expense. He paid for himself to be there and welcomed all who came to him. Didn't turn anyone away. Wasn't selfish with his time. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I was thinking about all, those, all the guards that were attached to Paul. Like, like I wonder how many guards became, became Christians because you're, you're stuck to a man that can't stop talking about Jesus. Uh, and I, just, I was thinking about that. Like, I, it's hard to not want to just get saved again when you hang out with a guy like Luis Palau. I was trying to think about like, what the impact of the Apostle Paul would be like being attached to him by a chain. Uh, and I, th- I think that he just, everyone he saw, he saw as an object of God's grace. And he brought the gospel and so I just want to give you these three verses that I think sum up this passion for preaching that we need to have as a community because we preach Christ crucified and we do it together as a community of faith. 2 Corinthians 5.11, it says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, not a fear that causes us to flee from God, but a fear of offending a loving, good father, it says we persuade others. Do you want to persuade others that this belief in this Jesus is the answer to all of life's woes. It doesn't actually save us from our suffering, but it gives us purpose and meaning in the midst of it. It gives us actually an end goal, that we are moving towards something, that because Jesus Christ is risen, we have a future. I think that that is a powerful reality. Do you desire to persuade others? Maybe just for you, persuasion would just be inviting someone to come to church with you. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ controls us. That desire to share the love of, to share the gospel with others will be driven by a real belief that God really loves you, really has transformed your life. It is only then that you will have a love for others and see that we have the ability uh, to bring life, the message of life and love and hope uh, to a world that is hurting and broken. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Do we believe that the gospel is good news for all people? And then finally, I love this, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul writes, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. And I, I, I don't know why I always focus on 5.21, but this verse is so profound. God making his appeal through us. This is Luis's point. He's like, I'm going to give everything I have, but I'm also trusting that it's the Holy Spirit through me that does the saving. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. I want us to be a church that is known for its fellowship, that is known for its hope, and that is known for its preaching, heralding the King. For we preach Christ crucified. Amen?